Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Opening, of course, was the voice of Michael Moore, who happily did a station promo for us when he visited UC Davis a few months back. And also happily... His movie's doing quite well at the box office, although Spider-Man 2 came along opening in a lot more theaters. It, uh, it now appears after the first week that um, Fahrenheit 911 will certainly reach $100 million at the box office and break the all-time record quite handily, which was previously set by Michael Moore with Bowling for Columbine. We have a very special guest on today's program, nationally syndicated columnist Molly Ivins will join us in our second segment to talk about her newest book, Who Let the Dogs In? Well, I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the bumper music, Mr. McMillan, but that is actually titled Who Let the Dogs Out? The dogs in this case are political characters that uh, Molly Ivins has met over the years. And, um, well, we're looking forward to talking with her in our second segment today, so please stay tuned for that. We will also be joined in our third segment by an upcoming young Hollywood starlet named Darcy Donovan. Darcy Donovan appears opposite Will Ferrell in one of the co-starring roles in Anchorman, which opens tomorrow night. We've had a chance to speak with Darcy. She's a very funny gal, and we look forward to uh, having her join us in the third segment. Now, I've heard it said that uh, young people, people in their early 20s, get an awful lot of their news, the news of what's going on in the world in the United States, by watching Comedy Central, The Tonight Show, and Late Night with David Letterman. Well, I found this to be a rather disturbing trend, but actually I stumbled across a major news item by going to our good friend Tom Burka's website, tomburka.com slash opinions you should have, where I realized from Tom's satire, he was telling me about a news story that I was not aware of, which is as follows. The New York Post trumpeted Democratic presidential candidate Senator John Kerry's choice of running mate as a front page exclusive today. Trouble is, it named the wrong man. Before today's long-awaited announcement, the morning tabloid reported in an unbylined story that Kerry's pick was Representative Richard Gephardt of Missouri. I saw it on Tom's blog. I thought, is he, is he kidding? And then went on to Google to discover, yes, this actually happened. It's not a spoof. The New York Post, of course, is owned by Rupert Murdoch's News Corp. And those who follow the Fox Channel and other efforts of Rupert Murdoch would say that, well... Is this that much more inaccurate than a lot of what comes out of the New York Post and good old Rupert, i.e. Fox News? I don't think so. Well, we're sorry we couldn't reach our own media correspondent, Senator Joseph 
Lieberman to talk about uh, his reaction to Senator John Kerry going with John Edwards. Apparently, we have been told Senator Lieberman is in seclusion. As you recall, Senator Lieberman tried to pitch the idea that he actually was a stronger candidate for Southern voters than was John Edwards. But alas, it apparently fell on deaf ears. At least it apparently fell on deaf ears as far as John Kerry's concerned. Now this program has uh, made no secret of the fact that it's not wildly enthusiastic about the Bush-Cheney administration. But by the same token, we're less than wildly enthusiastic about John Kerry, and I must say the choosing of John Edwards as his running mate does nothing to increase our enthusiasm. Because in the opinion of this program, John Edwards is a bit of a shyster lawyer. I got a phone call from a friend here uh, in Folsom last night uh, talking about the fact that his uh, friend of mine is a physician. His sister-in-law works at Johns Hopkins University, employed as a radiologist there, and said, oh, at Johns Hopkins, they know all about John Edwards. Edwards, um, according to a blog I found on the web, which was referring to the New York Times article on his, um, his, how he made his fortune, said Edwards rarely accepted cases in which a baby died during delivery, which, according to the New York Times, only brings in about $500,000 a case. He preferred instead to concentrate on the multi-million dollar yield from cerebral palsy cases. We have it from, uh, from a source back east that, uh, that uh, John Edwards would specialize in picking what's called high-risk obstetrics. In other words, women who uh, perhaps hadn't done the prenatal care they should have. Perhaps issues of drug abuse, smoking, alcoholism may have been involved. And by the way, it's not clear what causes cerebral palsy. Certainly what happens in prenatal care, what happens during delivery may pay a ro- play a role in certain cases, but it's a, it's, a, it's a label that covers a lot of ground. But um, certain lawyers are famous for bringing plaintiffs before a jury and saying, look, look at the plaintiff. It's obviously the doctor's fault and winning big settlements. Well, Edwards did that. So won somewhere between 12 and $60 million in a personal fortune, according to disclosure forms in the U.S. Senate. So yes, it appears that uh, John Edwards is one of these scum-sucking bottom dwellers, as the old joke goes. And uh, you can pretty much throw out any idea of tort reform. Now, am I biased because I'm a physician? Um, well, possibly. I would refer you to MedPundit, on the web for um, this article on uh, John Edwards and perhaps the original New York Times article might be a good place to go to. I've not yet done that. But we're going to do some searching into this and bring you the report back from Johns Hopkins, hopefully get someone to talk on the air about this. Uh, not that I want to like sandbag the Kerry candidacy too hard, but, uh, you know, I don't like John Edwards. I do like this blog site for a couple of quotes that it has on it that are worth probably uh, sharing with you. One is from Robert Ehrlich, drug advertising executive, who said, Once you tell people there's a cure for something, the more likely they are to pressure doctors to prescribe it, which I think pretty much explains in a nutshell all the direct marketing advertising you see on television. You know, the sad woman in the cartoon. Hey, just go take some of this drug. You'll feel so much better. And I like this quote from playwright, Russian playwright Anton Chekhov. When many cures are offered for a disease, it means the disease is not curable. There's a lot of truth in that. Speaking of the direct market approach to advertising and 
many cures being offered for disease, I would refer you to New Scientist magazine, the July 3rd issue, an article about the rise and fall of the wonder drugs, referring to selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, better known to you as Prozac, etc. Well, it's uh, this article, which I, again, would refer to any of you to, to take a look at this, talks about the fact that um, there's a lot of evidence that these drugs are vastly overprescribed and not very good for some patients, and particularly not very good for anyone under 18. Now, it isn't officially sanctioned for use in people under 18, therefore the, they did not, the drug manufacturers did not have to present evidence to the government that, um, that it was safe, etc., that it worked. Well, studies have shown that uh, for young people under the age of 18, these drugs do not help and may harm. In fact, they've discovered that in general with these medications, a certain subset of people get worse, get very much worse with this. And this has been a fairly consistent finding that the drug companies have suppressed. It's really time we took a second look at everyone in the country being put on Prozac, basically walking into a doctor's office saying, oh, it sounds like you're depressed. Here, take some of this. I know for a fact uh, that goes on. I know doctors that... um, to do that sort of thing, or at least used to, and uh, you know, this has got to stop. I mean, not so many years ago, you'd see articles in Time magazine, doctors saying, advocating that even people without depression should start popping these pills too to feel better than normal. I'm telling you that. <laughs> I think I think guys like John Edwards should be sicked on doctors like that. And by the way, we're expecting to have a distinguished pharmacologist on next week's program. And among other things, we want to talk about that very issue with him. I don't want to, to advertise him uh, as yet because we haven't uh, firmed it up. It'll be an interesting show next week if it comes together, and I hope it will. And uh, speaking of guests on the program, we're going to hope to bring back Sacramento attorney Jim Harrison. Jim spoke with us last January about uh, a suit he has that appears destined to appear before the United States Supreme Court. There was an article about him in the Sacramento Bee, Sunday, June 3rd, and we would refer you to that um, if you're interested. But uh, hopefully Jim will return to tell us about this very interesting case that challenges the notion that, um, you know, that a background check on everybody who buys an airline ticket is okay. You want a background check to be performed on you because you're booking a trip to L.A.? I don't think so. All right, let's do some miscellaneous items. Um, From The Week magazine. Apparently, a man in New Mexico crawled over the barrier in the Albuquerque Zoo to enter the jaguar cage. He then tried to pet the large feline, uh, which responded by biting off the tip of his finger. The man fled, but police tracked him down after finding a dried and shriveled finger in the cage. I guess they followed the blood trail to where the guy was located. The zoo decided not to press charges. I think he suffered enough, a zoo official said. All right, a few random statistics from U.S. News & World Report. The United States has twice as many shopping malls as high schools. That's amazing. And some good news. The number of teenagers who smoke has dropped 40% since 1997. The Center for Disease Control attributes the decline to anti-smoking campaigns and the soaring price of a pack of cigarettes. And a news story that didn't get the play perhaps it should have. Britain awarded an honorary knighthood 
to Nazi hunter Simon Weisenthal in recognition for a lifetime of service to humanity. Uh, Weisenthal is 95 years old. He survived incarceration in Nazi prison camps in Eastern Europe um, in World War II and then dedicated his life to bringing those responsible for the Holocaust to justice. Apparently, he's still at it and still being rewarded for his work. Uh, You know, bravo to Simon Weisenthal. And you know, wouldn't he be a great guest for this program? Stay tuned. Now, we have our favorite magazines we like to plug on this program. Scientific American, New Scientist, Discover, The Economist. Um, As part of subscribing to The Economist, they sent me The Pocket World and Figures, which I think as an almanac-like book, I better be careful not to take on to aircraft or mass transit. Because as we know, the FBI is looking out for almanac carriers as possible terrorists. But I flipped open this little world in figures at random and discovered something rather remarkable on page 100. According to The Economist, 2004 edition world in figures, the highest percent of land area in forest in the world is Gabon, with 84.7% of its land area devoted to forest. And according to The Economist, the number two nation in the world in terms of forest cover, percent uh, of land area as forest, is the Bahamas. The Bahamas, if you've ever flown near or over the Bahamas and looked down, you will see it is not forested. This chain of islands out in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, you know, there are some trees, I guess. (laughs) But how they came up with this, I don't know. But it does make me wonder about some of the stats I now see in The in the Economist. Ida from the San Francisco Chronicle, July 3rd, from Contra Costa County. Headline, Illegal Fireworks Hotline Overwhelmed with Tips. Apparently, Oakland's new hotline for reporting illegal fireworks received so many tips this week that city officials had to shut it down for 24 hours to catch up with all the calls. In an age of a war on terror, isn't it nice to know that the police forces of Northern California have nothing better to do than to run down reports of people blowing off firecrackers in the neighborhood? And speaking of excellent use of police resources, article from the Sacramento Bee, June 22nd. CHP plans zero tolerance today on portion of I-80. This has been rotating around the state. The California Highway Patrol, evidently with a lot of time on its hands, has decided to basically cancel uh, <laughs> uh, cancel time off for all of its officers so they can put out so they can put out the maximum number of troops, as it were, out on um, certain sections of highway to bust absolutely everyone who comes by for speeding violations, for potential safety violations, for anyone not wearing their seatbelt, dealing with, you know, the the blinker being out, the brake light being out. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, such things aren't worthy goals of a highway patrol, but do we do we have to have a zero tolerance day, put people on overtime, spend extra cash for this sort of thing? Well, here's what I think. And speaking of the war on terror, it's day 1086 in the still unsuccessful search 
for Osama bin Laden, who is believed to be somewhere at large in the borderlands between Afghanistan and Pakistan, where the United States decided not to deploy the 130,000 troops it now has sitting in Iraq. And speaking of the sad situation and what's going on in Iraq, I must refer you to Don Asmundson's uh, cartoon from the Chronicle a few um, a few weeks back, in the wake of uh, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney disputing the lack of Al Qaeda Iraq um, connections. <laughs> the Chronicle had a phony headline saying Cheney insists Hussein and Bin Laden both appeared in Kevin Bacon films. 911 Commission questions if six degrees of bacon is enough to justify war. Democrats say Cheney is exaggerating the size of bin Laden's role in the uneven comedy, He Said, She Said. And uh, unfortunately, in the real world, the United States State Department, that is Colin Powell's State Department, had to admit last month on June 13th that its April report on global terrorism which reported the number of terrorist attacks worldwide in 2003 had dropped by 45% compared with 2001, which was the lowest level in 34 years. Well, it turned out they didn't count any terrorist attacks after the 11th of November. Uh, Apparently, economist Alan Kruger of Princeton and political scientist David Lighton of Stanford uh, noted this error. And um, when you then add back in the attacks that occurred during the rest of the year, including a bombing in Turkey, 2003 turns out to be one of the worst years on record. Thus, I think it's appropriate to close this segment today with um, some headline and stories from The Onion, specifically the story as follows. Coalition, vast majority of Iraqis still alive. Baghdad, as the Coalition Provisional Authority prepares to hand power over to an Iraqi-led government, Administrator L. Paul Bremer publicly touted the success of Operation Iraqi Freedom. As the coalition's rule draws to a close, the numbers show that we have an awful lot to be proud of, Bremer said. As anyone who's taken a minute and actually looked at the figures can tell you, the vast majority of Iraqis are still alive, as many as 99%. While 10,000 or so Iraqi civilians have been killed, pretty much everyone is not dead. According to U.S. Department of Defense statistics, of the approximately 24 million Iraqis who were not killed, nearly all are not in military prison. Bremer said a good number of those Iraqis who are in jail have been charged with a crime, and most of them have enjoyed a prison stay free of guard dog attacks, low-watt electrocutions, and sexual humiliation. Anyway... Has anyone noticed how silent the National Rifle Association has been on the idea that if we went around Iraq and confiscated guns, things might be safer? They're kind of in a bit of a political bind, since their contention is that, you know, guns in private hands make everyone safer and keep civil order. All right, stay tuned for our second segment, our talk with Molly Ivins, best-selling author and widely syndicated political columnist for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. I'm Douglas Everett, this is Radio Parallax, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. People sleep. 